Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Brad Kearns to tell you about Organifi Green Superfood Powder. This is a great tasting green powder. It's amazing, but true. Mix it in water and it's delicious. So you'll use it every single day to get a nice dose of greens, especially if you're traveling, especially if you're trying to go keto and you're not eating that many carbs. This is a great way to ensure that you get all the nutritious benefits in a variety of fruits and vegetables. Mix it in your smoothie. I mix it with my ketone supplement. So even when I'm not eating, I get my greens every single day. Why don't you try some? Go over to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, and enter the code PRIMAL at checkout, and you will get 15% off your first order. Enjoy! Welcome, listeners. I am so happy to welcome back Dr. Tommy Wood. I strongly suggest that you listen to our initial podcast show that was um, uh, published uh, a couple months back and talking about his program that he's doing with Chris Kelly. But I thought today, Tommy, what we would do was actually uh, acquaint the listener, even on a deeper level, with what you guys are doing by using me as the guinea pig, because I am going through the program right now in the midst of it, deep into it. And we're going to uh, talk some details and actually find out with a real life person here um, what's going on and how how I'm going to uh, get to that peak performance. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, thanks for having me back and for being a guinea pig. And hopefully we can go through some good stuff here and um, uh, help, help people figure out maybe a way to do something similar for themselves. Uh, so I just want to uh, summarize uh, where I've been so far and, and, you know, cut in if I'm not describing it properly, but... When we decided to do this wonderful experiment and also bring the listeners into the experience, uh, the first step, the uh, comprehensive testing protocols that I was going through as part of the Nourish Balance Thrive program. So I had four different days of stool tests. I had a urine test that obligated me to pee on the strip uh, five different times around the clock on a particular day. Um, And then I went down to the local blood lab. And I went down there and the lady was like, okay, this is a, almost a new record because she pulled out 13 different vials, different uh, you know, sample directions that they asked for. And then that was sent off. And then I waited uh, not very long. And then the test results started to arrive uh, right to my email, really convenient, you know, simple. It's like uh, everything's in my fingertips now. And it was uh, frankly, you know, an overwhelming amount of data. So the cool thing to hold my hand and interpret everything and that was on my follow-up telephone call with Chris Kelly. Um, so he had the screen action going where, you know, we were sharing the computer screen. So I was looking at him navigating through my results on this comprehensive blood panel, on the stool panels, on the urine panels, uh, and talking about the particulars of the results. And just like you guys promised on the first show, you said, everybody's got some issues. And I'm trying to pass myself off as a healthy guy. I eat a very healthy diet. I'm very devoted to proper exercise habits, definitely getting my sleep every night. And then I open up this thing and oh my gosh, man, we burned through a two-hour phone consultation because Chris had to describe the various issues that came up on my uh, all my reports. And so it was kind of a uh, sort of good news and bad news because you don't want to hear someone say, you're absolutely perfect. You're the human specimen of the planet so whatever you got right now is all you got. But instead, I was given, you know, I was given some major marching orders here and some big things to consider 
and some protocols to uh, perform that are quite complex, but are trying to get me out of um, some of these uh, difficulties and, and problematic results that I showed up with. Yeah, so I think it's it's worth pointing out uh, a couple of things. And the first thing is that, yes, we, we did spot a couple of things. And, and it's often, uh, it's very common in athletes uh, to see various nutritional deficiencies just because they have higher requirements or they lose more through the stool or through the sweat. Uh, that was certainly the case um, on a few things for you. Uh, but equally, there were lo- lots of great stuff um, on your test results. So, you know, your gl- uh, glucose uh, regulation uh, all looks great, uh, no signs of insulin resistance, you know, all those things we talk about in terms of healthy aging, which we talked about on, on the first podcast. I know it's very important to you. So, all of that looks great. So, there's you know, definitely some things that you can work on, but equally, you know, I think you've been doing a pretty good uh, job so far with what you've been doing. So, so hopefully, even though it's a large amount of data, um, you can still come away thinking that what you've been doing so far is, has still been doing a pretty good job. Yeah, that's nice to know, especially the low triglycerides and the healthy HDL, um, the inflammatory markers were all in order. Even my testosterone was pretty good, which I've, uh, I track regularly over the years. However, um, you know, I'm, talking to you, talking to Chris saying, look, man, I'm, you know, I'm doing my best here. I'm trying to perform magnificent athletic feats, often complaining of eh, delayed recovery, maybe um, a little fragile with my sleep requirements. Like if I don't get my eight to nine hours, um, I'm I'm feeling drag ass the next day. And I'm wondering, you know, are there things that are holding me back? And so the cool part of the, um, the consultation here was that we did get into some things that my normal physician would probably never see and never test for. And I think the, the big one that you guys talked about on the previous show was that uh, condition of your gut microbiome. And uh, sure enough, some things came up for me there. Yeah, so of the all the tests that you did, um, you did uh, two stool tests, like you said, and then uh, overall three urine tests so there was the one that you peed on the strips five times a day so that's the dutch test um the dried urine test of comprehensive hormones looks at cortisol cortisol metabolism sex hormones sex hormone metabolism and then the other uh, urine test you did was the organic acids test uh, which looks at sort of intermediates in metabolism which gets gives us an idea of how well your mitochondria are working also has some some bacterial and yeast uh, overgrowth markers on there uh, some markers for nutrient deficiencies and then uh, there's a there's a tox screen that comes alongside that which looks at non metal toxicants so uh, that was something that we actually noticed in you particularly uh, was some of the things that were popping up on the organic acids test so uh, if people remember uh, when people talk about the electron transport chain in the mitochondria that's how we're sort of moving electrons to, to make uh, atp uh, there's something in there called complex two um, and it's sort of on your organic acid test we saw some uh sort of a potentially a deficiency in complex two or complex two wasn't working properly because you had high uh, succinic acid or succinate and there's two potential reasons for this you know looking at um looking at your results i think you probably need some more b2 some riboflavin um and that uh, and then the other side of that is you, you were quite high on a number of um the tox markers so it seems like there are a number of things in your environment uh, particularly to do with plastics because a lot of the the markers that are shown very high on you um are to do with um the processing of plastic so things like 
I can't imagine that you're microwaving food in plastic containers, but that's something that we see fairly frequently. One of one of the things that we see is people with plastic bottles when they're out on bike rides. So if you're if you're a cyclist and you're taking your plastic bottles out on bikes, those bottles then get hot in the sun, they start to break down and you end up with some of these things going around. Also in, in athletes, we might see uh, the rubber flooring of gyms. Uh, a few of those tend to pop up there. So I know you, you talked to Chris about this, did you uh, manage to identify any uh, particular areas where maybe you might be getting exposure to some of these things? Because they might be into, they might be the reason why you're seeing some uh, a slight uh, sluggishness in, in one aspect of your mitochondrial function. Well, over the course of my life, of course, we microwaved our butts off in the, in the <laughs> 70s and 80s with plastic containers and all that bad stuff. And of course, those crappy bottles heating up and all that. Um, today, I'm not you know sweating on rubber mats and I'm not uh, pedaling a lot. Uh, with with plastic water bottles, but I'm consuming the you know the typical store bought uh, plastics, and I remember that you know sometimes these things sit in my car and get to the hundred degree temperature on a hot summer day. Plastic heats up, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. When plastics are stressed that way with heat, that's when they seem to release a lot of these things. So that's definitely something to be mindful of: is um, whether things are heating up and then cooling down again. And you often notice. At least I notice if you, if you buy sort of bottled water uh, in the store, and that's been sat in some distribution center somewhere in Texas where it's 120 degrees outside, um, and all that stuff's been released into the water. And then even though you buy it and it's in the fridge, um, you can still sort of taste some. I mean, you can taste some of those breakdown products. So, so it's it's very important um, if you're going to be using plastics. Uh, well, a to minimize them, particularly particularly for you, Brad, but then also um, minimizing their exposure to to heat. So uh, microwaves, dishwashers, all of those things can sort of start to break those things down. Um, another interesting thing for me, because I uh, talk so frequently with L. Russ, our resident thyroid solution, and she's the hostess of the Primal Blueprint podcast. She's had a lot of thyroid talk on there. Um, that I had somewhat on the low side of uh, uh, total total uh, thyroid and free T3. And this is oftentimes seen in uh, people who are going low carbon keto because of the, uh, I guess it's, you can, you can describe this further, but if you're, you're not stimulating thyroid hormone as much as let's say a normal eater. And so you come in on the blood test and it says low. Um, So I don't know if that was um, a concern for you or you're going to say that's okay because I'm keto uh, where does that stand? Well, you know, what I'm going to say, Brad. I'm going to say it depends. Uh, I know that's your favorite answer. Um, so there are multiple there are multiple parts to this story. And when it comes to keto and thyroid, obviously, Ella is absolutely correct there. And there's definitely some evidence that when you go on a ketogenic diet, you have a great you have a a, a, a smaller requirement uh, for for active T3, and we think that that's potentially because you've got better uh, thyroid signaling, uh, more accurate, uh, more faithful signaling, and therefore you need less T3 to get the same job done. Um, and that might be one of the reasons why T3 decreases on a ketogenic diet. Uh, obviously, um, you can take that too far, and T3 will also uh, decrease um, when you're under-eating total calories, which is possible as an athlete on a low-carb diet. Um, then there's some other things that are worth uh, bearing in mind. So 
if you have some degree of gut inflammation, and we did notice a, a yeast overgrowth on um, both your stool test and on your urine test, um, then that can alter the way that you uh, convert T3. So you have um, normal T4, which is the precursor released by uh, released by the thyroid gland, um, but you might actually have reduced conversion to T3 because you have some inflammation in the gut. We're sort of you're right on the borderline here, so maybe it's not. Um, Maybe it's not like your biggest issue, but there's definitely something uh, potentially going on there. So if we treat the yeast, which is one of the protocols we gave to you, that might improve slightly. Um, another part of the picture um, is the fact that if we go back to your, your tox screen, you had high levels of perchlorate, uh, which is known to be um, associated with low thyroid function. So that is something that you often see in contaminated water. And if you think about contaminated water then being sprayed on vegetables, um, the, there are some vegetables that seem to accumulate perchlorate. So if you're eating, you know, you could be really good at eating a nice, healthy, uh, you know, diet, include lots of plants. But if that includes a lot of lettuce, a lot of spinach, they seem to really accumulate perchlorate. And then maybe um, that's coming in and that's affecting some of your thyroid function too. So it could be that some of the decrease is due to the diet and that's fine. But some of the decrease could also be due to some inflammation you've got going on and, and some of the toxicants in the diet. So people with high levels of perchlorate, we'd say um, definitely um, – Definitely filter your water. That's probably the, the, uh, the first step. And then beyond then, uh, um, I, I wouldn't really tell you to eat few, less spinach because, you know, you'll never be able to figure out exactly how much of that's coming from the spinach and whether you should be worrying about it. But just making sure that your iodine replete, that can um, that can sort of counter some of the effects of the perchlorate. And then if you're doing some of that, treat some of the inflammation, then I think uh, whatever T3 levels you've got left over once we've done those things, uh, that's probably going to be cl uh, close to optimal for you. And just so the listener knows, the way your program works is you you sign up, you go all in, you, you make the investment in your in your body instead of your bike, like you pointed out on the last show. Yeah, how ridiculous our our priorities are when we're especially in the competitive sports. So once you're in the mix, we did all these tests, and then we're going to repeat them as needed because we're trying to correct everything. And the uh, the the client is going to receive uh, whatever supplements are necessary, completely targeted, like you just said. I didn't do anything except for uh, receive the box and open up everything and see how often to take it. So it was it's very um, a very tight protocol that I'm following right now, and I have supplements that I'm I'm traveling with and uh, being devoted to take every single day. Yeah, so that, that's absolutely right. The the program includes everything, so it's often very difficult to figure out where you want uh, you know to spend your time or you know what supplements to take. So we basically take care of all of that for you. Um, so you mentioned some of the, so we talked about the yeast protocol, which is something that you'll do for the next couple of months. Um, and then we talked about some potential um, nutritional supplements. So we tend to give everybody that comes on our program a, a multivitamin just because, you know, base, you know, even if you're eating the best possible diet, it's 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 still perfectly possible to to miss out on some some key nutrients. Um, and as an athlete, you just have a greater demand for those nutrients. So a good multivitamin is always a good start. Um, and then if we go over some of your results. Um, it definitely looks uh, based on your blood levels, like you probably, you're probably low in zinc, which is very common uh, in athletes. Uh, also seem probably uh, slightly low in copper, um, maybe also magnesium. And again, all of those things, uh, particularly the magnesium, uh, can, be, can, be, um, can become deficient if you're on a ketogenic diet. So focusing on those can be really important too. Um, I mentioned uh, B2, riboflavin. So that's one of the B vitamins, uh, also, um, also important. And then maybe also some B12 for you. And, and, and these are based on the organic acids uh, test results. So rather than just saying, 
you know, just sort of shotgunning you with um, a load of supplements, I can see, I can, I can look at the intermediates in the metabolism of those various things and see that, yes, uh, two or three different markers show you probably need some B2. Uh, a couple of markers say you probably need some B12. Um, we also talked about uh, the potential for needing some uh, Q10 and carnitine. And carnitine is we, um, just super important on a ketogenic diet. And I think we've gotten to the point now where um, if we're seeing an athlete on a ketogenic diet and they're not taking carnitine, then um, it's almost it's almost required just because you, you're you relying um, on those fatty acids to, to be your main source of uh, energy. And uh, carnitine is really important for shuttling those fatty acids, particularly the longer fatty acids into the mitochondria. So there are a couple of markers we have on the urine test that suggest that are elevated in you and um, they suggest you might need some carnitine, and I think we've sent you some of that too. Um, it's interesting that those markers seem to increase on a ketogenic diet anyway. So, you know, if they remain elevated, it's probably um, not that you need more and more and more carnitine. Uh, but you, but definitely, uh, if you're not taking carnitine, you're on a ketogenic diet. We'd usually recommend that you start that. So, you know, they're um, based on your blood tests and urine tests. We've sort of identified five or six different nutrients that um, you would definitely benefit from taking some of. Uh, you know, the two the two big uh, things for me. Uh, bacterial or candida overgrowth because we know what a common problem this is when you're eating that standard American high carbohydrate diet. I've been here strict primal for eight or nine years, uh, but I have had some um, some blows, man. And, and one of them was this uh, massive dose of antibiotics I had two years ago due to a series of surgeries and including a, um, a serious case of uh, a ruptured appendix and a long hospital stay. So yes, was that might've compromised my my uh, intestinal health, and possibly this is a um, a risk factor for developing these uh, conditions of overgrowth, even when you're eating healthy for months and months on end after whatever the um, the experience was that had had you uh, dosing up on antibiotics and wiping everything out. Yeah. That- Absolutely, and it's we we often see um, some slightly dysbiotic guts, and, and yours isn't the worst by by any stretch. You know, overall, uh, reasonably good, but it's it's uncommon to see you know actual yeast on a stool test. So you might be able to uh, identify some of some yeast DNA um, if you if you're doing a, a PCR based test, but to actually see some yeast on the other side, that suggests you've definitely got an overgrowth somewhere, um, and you did have a little um, sort of a what we call maybe a slight dysbiosis, some uh, bacteria that that are definitely meant to be found in the gut, but we probably saw more of them than we'd like to. Some of the, what we call um, uh, proteobacteria, they produce endotoxins that can be pro-inflammatory. Um, and again, just sort of like a slight overgrowth of some of those and definitely could go back to um, either the longer periods of, um, you know, previously uh, very stressful training plus um, periods of antibiotic use. And then, you know, we often see that some that people just need a little bit of help to get over the hump, maybe clear out that yeast. And if everything else is in good order and you're, you're treating some of the other problems, then then things just settle right down and you can um, you can keep looking after them with, with just a, a good diet going forward. It doesn't need to be sort of like a continuous supplementation. We just sort of shift things around um, and then we can look after that going forwards. Uh, the other big one, possibly the biggest... Um uh, thing to discuss on this show that other listeners might relate to, especially if they're going for uh, these keto goals or trying, which I've talked about so much on the show and you know, had this had this journey deep into keto over the past year uh, doing the Keto Reset Diet book and so forth. But one thing you guys identified is that maybe I was not consuming sufficient total calories in my diet due to all these long periods of fasting and also due to the appetite regulation which is so often seen as a benefit of keto. But in my particular case, 
So I'm okay with my body fat. I'm going for peak performance and I'm going for longevity. And um, you and Chris suggested, uh, why not try something like a nutrient-dense green smoothie in the morning with all the goodies put in there instead of that prolonged fast that I'm proudly uh, stating that I go till 12 before I consume any calories. And you propose, and this is all individual, this is why your program is so important, but in my particular case, possibly uh, an additional metabolic stressor that was uh, hurting more than helping. Yeah, and that can, absolutely, and that can feed back into some of that uh, thyroid stuff we talked about. It's definitely possible to to see a bit of a dip in thyroid if you're under-eating. And I think this is a real risk, and we talked about it on the last podcast too, it's a real risk in... Um, the the conscientious low carb keto athlete also you know so trying to trying to work out with it with a reasonably high uh, training volume um but you know also cognizant of all the other, these other things you know they're thinking about total protein intake they're thinking about about total calorie intake they're thinking about uh, intermittent fasting and it's definitely possible to fall into a trap of of under eating and i think with you that's certainly a possibility so you know we don't often tell people to, to count calories except for when we think they're maybe under eating. So we use it in the, in the, other, the other way from, from how people normally use it, which is to, to, to cut calories and, and count them that way. So I know uh, we, we put on your, we have sort of a, a project manage, management board, a, um, a Trello board, and we've sort of given you a, a list of cards of, of things to do. And then, you know, as you do them, you can give us updates and then we can, you can also give us things to review, things you want questions on, things you didn't like, or, you know, things you need help on. Um, and I know, so at the moment we've got counting calories on there is, is one of your things, trying the smoothie. Um, I'd be very interested to hear how you're liking the smoothie. Um, but one thing that I, I wanted uh, to mention, which I, which maybe I didn't make fully clear last time I was on the podcast, was that um, yes, it, it's very important to um, try and stimulate some of these autophagy pathways, things like intermittent fasting. But as as an endurance athlete, particularly if you're doing some endurance exercise, some high intensity exercise, you are activating a lot of those pathways associated with fasting, and you're activating them to a greater extent and more quickly than if you went on on an, a prolonged uh, uh, fast. So. If you're somebody who's doing a lot of these things and you're doing a lot of endurance, aerobic, uh, or high-intensity exercise, you're getting some of those benefits of those same pathways without necessarily needing to fast for as long. And that's one of the benefits. That's one of the ways we get benefits from exercises because we stimulate those pathways. So it's definitely possible to do too much in that arena, and then you know, um, you know, that's that could um, feed forward and, and, and damage your performance. Well, it makes sense. And, and just to clarify what you mean when you're when you're out there. Um working out and burning calories, you're sort of, uh, I guess you're um, shortcutting these metabolic benefits you get from fasting where you're, uh, let's say, uh, depleting your glycogen, maybe stimulating ketone production on a shorter uh, timeline than at your desk reading articles about keto. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's some nice studies that have shown that sort of if you fast overnight, you don't seem to stimulate um, don't, that's not, doesn't seem to be enough to stimulate all the autophagy pathways. But then if you uh, throw in some aerobic exercise uh, immediately afterwards, then you, you get all those pathways going. So um, as somebody who does some exercise like that, you know, a lot of uh, endurance athletes, primal endurance athletes are going to be doing that. I think you're getting a lot of the benefits um, from activating those pathways without necessarily needing to, ex to fast or extended periods. Um, so then that gives you a little bit more freedom to, to, to eat a bit more, which can then support performance. Yeah, it sounds like that's becoming a common theme, especially among the athletically inclined low-carb eaters, is that it's okay and possibly advised to target some caloric intake around your workouts. So perhaps you conduct that fasted workout, 
do something impressive. And then if you happen to wait an hour, that's, that's fine. And you're getting some, uh, accelerated benefits, but then, you know, taking care to, um, replenish nutritionally with, you know, super nutrient dense preparations, such as the smoothie you guys recommend. And I'd say I'm, I'm trying it. It's been a couple of weeks now. I can tell, um, some changes, uh, and I don't know if this is good or bad, and it's good stuff for the, the listener to think about, but three, and your energy's stable, and you feel great, and I can go till 12 or 1 or 2 without eating. And I know that's healthy. We, we, the validated benefits of fasting have uh, you know, long, been, long been established. Um, however, now I feel like I'm uh, maybe recovering quicker from the workouts, and I'm also feeling um, more, you know, more appetite, more times where I, I'm actually feeling a little bit hungry and then I go eat something. So I'm kind of um, different mode, which in my case, again, I'm not trying to lose weight. Um, I do have some ambitious performance goals besides just living a long time. I want to be strong and, and all that. So maybe I'm getting more back into the athletic realm rather than the monk uh, keto realm where I'm you know, able to uh, meditate all day without eating food. Yeah, and I think that's that's absolutely fine and for you. I think that's that that's a good goal to have, and you definitely want to be um, maximizing your recovery, getting the most out of your exercise. And, and I absolutely don't think that that's going to be um, that's going to be negating any of the, sort of the longevity benefits you were talking about. And you know, one of the important things I think about meal timing is you know, this is another thing that we talked to you about was you know eating when it's light outside. And I was just you know, which would include, you know, eating calories more of a breakfast time rather than skipping skipping uh, breakfast and, and waiting until lunch. And I was, uh, I just hosted a conference in, in Iceland on longevity. Um, and one of the speakers there was uh, Sachin Panda, who, if anybody's heard of him, he's one of the main sort of uh, circadian uh, rhythm guys. He's probably the circadian rhythm guru talking about uh, meal timing in relation to light timing. Um, and there's, there's a, some really interesting stuff that's, that's coming out. And he talks about how particularly in the absence of good light cues. So if you're somebody who um, is inside most of the day and you're not, you know, even though the lights on in the ceiling, you're not exposed to nearly as much light as you need to be uh, to entrain your circadian rhythms. And then, you know, at, at nighttime, there's also light outside or, um, you know, there's it's, it's almost impossible to get exposed to complete darkness nowadays. So in that kind of scenario, then meal timing becomes really important. Um, and then it's all, and then it's important to sort of help set the circadian rhythm by eating in the morning and eating when it's light outside. Um, and there's also some interesting data on how if you're eating closer to the onset of melatonin, so when the melatonin starts to come up in the evening, that seems to be associated with um, increased weight gain too and, and worse metabolic health. So if somebody is struggling with their metabolic health, then uh, there are many, many studies now showing that eating more calories in the morning and fewer calories in the evening and, and giving a nice break before bedtime, um, that seems to improve a number of those metrics. So um, working with you, we've sort of suggested, even though your metabolic health looks great, if we're, try if we're trying to sort of truly optimize all this stuff, there's a potential to sort of shift some of those calories earlier in the morning and, and the smoothie, um, if you like that, is a great way to do that. Okay, so I'm going to ISIL next year. You, listener, are going to ISIL next year. you got to be there. <laughs> I mean, a conference about living forever and all these people coming together, it sounds so awesome. I'm, I'm so glad you put that on. And yeah, definitely go to um, YouTube and search for uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick uh, with Sachin Panda, Indian Rhythm, particularly limiting your food intake into a 12-hour window. Um, and that stuff was really, uh, it's really revolutionary and, and makes a lot of sense, uh, especially uh, what you just added to that concept about, uh, you know, not eating unless it's light outside 
uh, and you know maybe getting that uh, digestive clock started. So it's it's a lot to think about. It's a little confusing because um, there's a lot of messaging that's um, a fast as long as you can and go through that. But I, I do think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of individuality here to it. And one of my concerns that I had is that you know I feel fine fasting, but I'm maybe feeling fine because I'm activating the fight or flight response and you know kind of wired on stress hormones, feeling fine, feeling energetic, feeling alert. And there might be a certain uh, number of people in this camp, greater nutritional need as opposed to a greater need to fast and become metabolically efficient if I'm already exhibiting signs that I'm metabolically efficient. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, you could have been a completely different client who'd, who'd come to work with us and we'd have talked, you know, we've talked about, um, you know, more prolonged fasting, intermittent fasting. Maybe we talked about fasting mimicking diets where people go on um, either on a very uh, low calorie diet or water fast for a number of days. Um, so it absolutely depends on, on who you are and where you come from, um, what's what's going on with you and what your goals are. But certainly for you, I think um, that, that focus on uh, getting some more calories in maybe earlier in the morning, getting some of those nutrient-dense foods in, trying to address some of those things where you could maybe use some more nutrients, and that will sort of help uh, boost that performance um, and, and boost recovery. And it, it is worth mentioning that your cortisol, so that's one of the things we mentioned, that actually looks uh, looks pretty good. Um, you don't seem to have high cortisol at any particular time of the day. Um and the the only one thing that we could say is that you're not maybe metabolizing your cortisol quite as fast as we'd we'd expect to, but that's that's potentially tied to some of those things with the thyroid. So if we you know tick off all those boxes that we talked about earlier, then that will probably even out, and and, and overall that looks pretty good. Um, let's go back to that uh, that that giant question, Tommy, and I, I want to see um, what you think about this reducing excess body fat. Um, is it a simple is it a simple path to you know, reduce carbohydrate intake in particular and get that uh, fat burning going perhaps by intermittent fasting and things like that? Or do we have more nuances to address uh, to, to to the individual? Yeah. And so the, there are so many ways to, 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 to skin this cat. And the absolutely, if somebody is insulin resistant, overweight, poor metabolic health, you know, reducing carbohydrate intake, um, as well as um, so in, in increasing protein intake, probably uh, maybe also reducing total calorie um, intake. Because if you you know um, guys like uh, Bolek and Finney, they'll absolutely tell you that if you want to be burning body fat, then the fat in your diet should be the fat coming from your own fat stores rather than fat in the food that you're eating. Um, so all of that becomes important. Uh, but equally, I think it's um, I think it's very important that we don't overlook the fact that you need to identify what it was that caused you to gain weight in the first place. So there could be lots of other things to do with stress. It could be your relationship with food. It could be micronutrient deficiencies. I think we talked last time about um, a study performed by Bruce Ames, who's one of the absolute uh, gurus of uh, micronutrients. Um, and he basically showed that he get, if he gave people um, back some of the nutrients that tend to be missing in the diet, they automatically lost weight. Um, it could be things to do with uh, sleep quality, uh, circadian rhythm. So, yes, absolutely, you can start by by fixing the diet and removing processed carbohydrates and you know processed grains and you know even processed fats and oils. You know, getting those out of the diet. That's going to be a great start. But equally, if, if you then hit a plateau, we may need to look at some of those other things to try and figure out exactly what you need to do to tell your body that it's okay to start losing that weight. The other thing we um, you mentioned really quickly, just to um, illuminate the, the way the program works, is this, this cool Trello board thing, which is a, 
it's an app if you're not familiar with a lot of people use it for the workplace to keep track of different projects but um we go on to this shared platform and i'm looking at my assignments and my check off list to do because it can get overwhelming people get busy and so you really do got you know the, the verbal conversations but also uh with the uh with the computer tool and one of the things on my assignment list was that my iron was high and i was supposed to go give blood so i did that i checked it off next time i test my iron it's going to come back to um you know uh, the clear level um but also just to reiterate that point when you sign up for the program um the repeat testing and all the supplements are included you're not paying out of pocket as you go style uh, operation yeah absolutely and uh, just like you said one important part of this is is the project management side but then also the accountability side so you know if i send you and you know we did send you um our interpretation of all your test results you know it's two pages long and it's full of words that you've probably never read before um and most people probably wouldn't understand um and then you think well crap what am i going to do with all of this um so we you know we break it down into chunks so you you meet with us um every couple of weeks and we put a couple of things on your board your you know your to-do board and then you you work through those and you ask any questions then we come back and you know we sort of get in a huddle and figure out what's gone right what's gone wrong what else we can now add because you've created you know those habits so maybe now it's going to be um, normal for you to go to the red cross to donate blood every you know three or four months which is great and so then we add something else and it's definitely very important to sort of break this down into bite-sized chunks and then we can also figure out you know what's working for you what isn't um and we sort of have this continuous project management um such that you don't feel alone and overwhelmed with all this information we give you we're definitely sort of there to to help guide you through all of it yeah and i i like uh you know one of the things on my um report here was poor capacity to handle oxidative stress and i reflect back to my time as an athlete when you're constantly calibrating and measuring and judging your performance against others and i remember having to learn this lesson to the hard way that i just simply wasn't as resilient to training load as many of my training partners and i had to figure out for myself that i needed more downtime i needed more rest i needed more sleep than other people around me in my world and my environment and i had to accept that as an individual trait um and also uh let's say you know perform high end explosive movement uh more competently than a, a pure endurance athlete who could go all day like a mule versus a, a a thoroughbred but you have to figure out what works for you and the patterns that work for you not just in whether you're going to have a green smoothie or you're going to fast until noon but also your exercise patterns and the duration of your workouts and I've said this before on the show I mean I love the CrossFit movement so much and their philosophy but when I get this mentality where on that first set I'm giving it my all and I'm going above that bar and I'm doing I'm doing whatever they ask and then when they say okay um you know rest up and and let's do another set it's like that's not for me that feels like a disconnect between um the way that I train and the way that I perform and I'm I'm going you know and, and Dave Dolay said this so search through the archives for his podcast the great Swiss trainer and former world class 100 meter sprinter he said if you all out for 1 minute in the gym such as he he's a, a, a Olympic sprinter of course um he will go all out and he'll be lying on the floor in a pool of sweat you can search youtube dave dole crazy workout or something and see him doing this in 1 minute he's he's done he's baked and he's done an amazing amount of physical work and he says many many clients he will have them in the gym and he'll say okay i'm going to ask you to go all out for 1 minute and they go for 1 minute the beeper stops and they're standing next you know because they just don't have the neurotransmitter profile and the you know the chemical and the personality makeup 
to perform in the same manner as the next person. So um, I'm just throwing this in here because when you're talking about uh, the, the dietary patterns, the sleep patterns, your suggestion to you know not consume calories after dark and maybe get started with your circadian clock, I think these are the little nuances that are going to make big differences in people that have hit plateau or even athletic performance in all ways. Uh, absolutely. And I think that talking about training is, is is so incredibly important. And the the first, you know, where we started with that is, you know, you, you had a, a slight elevation of a marker of a DNA damage called 8-hydroxy-2-deoxyguanosine, which is a, a really good marker uh, of DNA damage and oxidative stress. You know, they use it in, in multiple publications. It's used as a, a biomarker of potential uh, cancer risk. Yours isn't that elevated, but it, it's slightly elevated. So it kind of, you know, we work with slightly smaller uh, target ranges because then that gives us gives us some some room to play with and, and try and optimize things. So it's not something that, you know, is hugely worrying to worry about cancer risk or anything like that. But, you know, we know that people who train a lot, they definitely deplete their stores of glutathione, their, their capacity to, to deal with oxidative stress. Um, and that where you lie on that is also going to be very uh, individual. And we see a lot of people who come to us um, who have Follow the traditional training model. So say if you're an endurance athlete, you're spending a lot of time doing tempo runs around lactate threshold, you know, pushing really, really hard in that sort of um, middle intensity zone. Um, and actually uh, where, you know, people who've done that for a long period of time and, you know, seem to be burned out from all their training, you know, if we pull back some of the intensity, they do some more math style workouts, you know, so um, lower heart rate, but, you know, maybe for some longer periods, but not necessarily. And then go all the way to the other end and just do some sprints or, you know, you work really hard for like a minute and that's it. Um, and you sort of avoid some of that middle ground, which seems to be the most fatiguing um, and the most stressful in the body. Then people start to get their performance back. But again, that's incredibly individual. So if you are somebody who has the time, um, particularly as a professional athlete or with you know your personal life, you don't have lots of other things going on and you have the time to recover from those harder workouts in the middle ground, then maybe you'll do great with those. But again, it's going to come back to you. It's going to come back to your physiology and then all the other things that you're trying to do at the same time. Yeah, you know, you could probably argue that there are certain training patterns that are bad for everyone. I mean, chronic exercise and hitting it hard every single day. However, they're much worse for some people than others. And some people can hang on and go in this crazy mode for two years or three years or five years. Same with the diet. You know, our NBA legends are these athletes that don't pay attention to diet even today. And they're, they're still up there performing at the highest level of humans. Usain Bolt's eating the Chick McNuggets and the Olympic Village and all that. And that's, that's great for them. But I think for the rest of us and, and what, the pro, what your program is all about is to highlight you know, the, the shortcomings that you have and the particular sensitivities. And I will say, if I have toxic uh, waste rhythm, I'm going to probably speculate that many people out there could benefit from doing these detox protocols that you've assigned me, like going into the sauna and sweating it out and then quickly taking a cold shower and scrubbing my skin with uh, the Castile soap and, and getting this stuff out of my body. And then looking toward, um, you know, some targeted testing and supplementation rather than going along and getting getting your annual physical where they check your blood pressure and do a few blood panels and proclaim you healthy out there, you know, aspiring to do these challenging competitive events. Um, it's a whole different game than the person who's just trying to make it to average life expectancy of age 81 in sorry ass shape for the last two decades. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're talking about longevity, I think one of the most important aspects is being in good shape for as long as possible, right? You don't want to just be live longer, but cling be clinging on for that for you know that whole period of time um and, and you know it's worth mentioning that a lot of the stuff that you know we're talking about um is 
super low risk with potential high benefit, right? So you take a multivitamin, maybe you shift your eating patterns a little bit, uh, change your training patterns a bit. Um, all these things, you know, go in a sauna, which we know is going to be great for cardiovascular um, health and performance, you know, as well as maybe getting rid of some of these things that have accumulated over years. So, you know, um, even even though you know they have a potential for huge benefit, you know what's what's the what's the risk of of taking multivitamin getting the sauna? It's 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 actually pretty low, but the the potential benefit is is going to be huge. And then when we can sort of tailor that to your own physiology, I think um, that's going to be you know the, the, that's going to be better. Um, I, I did quickly want to go back to the fact that Usain Bolt did get slower and slower every year until he then didn't win the world championships and his last race of the hundred meters. So maybe the chicken nuggets um, weren't that good for him. Um, but but equally, if you listen to people who um, who perform for the longest period of time in their given sport, they really seem to have this stuff dialed down. So, you know, a lot of um, elite performers in the military, you know, the ones who who hang around have real longevity. You know, they've really dialed in the diet, and often they've sort of gone, gone down the the primal kind of eating route that that, that you talk about. Um, similarly, you talk about. Uh, somebody like Tom Brady um, in the NFL, you know, love him or hate him. He's been there for a long time, performing for a long time. And he's, you know, incredibly careful with his diet. He eats something closer to like an autoimmune paleo type diet. Um, you know, he sort of figured out what works for him. He's done some reintroduction. So if you real, if you want real longevity in whatever sport it is that you're working in, then, then working on this stuff and finding out what works for you is really important. Oh, my goodness. And that's uh, we're, we're not talking to a lot of pro athletes on the show here who are wondering how they can extend their career in the NBA. But for everyone out there, um, and especially I've seen in the endurance community for so many years, the booming popularity where people, they have their $13,000 bike and their race schedule full and they're going gangbusters and they're putting up good results. But there's so much attrition. The more extreme the effort is, the CrossFit community, we know there's a lot of attrition. Uh, The endurance community, a lot of attrition where people come. They get their uh, framed uh, photo for the office wall a few years later. And it's so sad because these are lifetime sports and you're, you're obligated to pursue fitness for a lifetime, like you said, if you want longevity. And so there's a, there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way. And when you're going hard and you're ambitious and you have that type A personality, you can really get yourself in trouble doing it the wrong way and thinking that you're a healthy person when actually you're just a fit person who's disastrously unhealthy. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge, that's a, I mean, that's a huge risk with any sport too. Uh, right. And, uh, you talk about many athletes that are fit but unhealthy. So you may be uh, performing, even if you are performing really well in your given sport, maybe you feel awful the rest of the time. You can't get up in the morning. You can't get it up in the morning. You can't, you know, you feel you've done your workout and then the rest of the day is just a complete write-off, you know. Um, so even those things, if you want to combine uh, performance um, over a long period of time and want to perform at life, then then fixing all that stuff is, is really going to be key. Oh, Tommy, we're going to rewind 12 seconds and hear that whole that whole smoothly delivered statement again. I mean, that says it all right there, man. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much for spending the time and acquainting the listeners with what you guys are doing behind the scenes. I know that you guys have developed this very interesting, uh, it's it's a questionnaire that's uh, highly informed by the results that you've had with athletes. So anyone can get started for free. And what's it called? The assessment? Yeah. So it's our elite performance analysis. And I'm glad you reminded me about this. We've, we basically, so Chris, who we mentioned earlier, he's 
um, sort of my partner in crime and a lot of this stuff. And, you know, he co-founder of Nourish Balance Thrive, and he's a computer scientist by training. And uh, basically uh, what we've done now is uh, taken the results from a thousand athletes that includes all the biochemical data that we talked about, but also some subjective data about quality of life and sleep and stress and all these other things. And now based on just those questions on quality of life, we can predict biochemical patterns. So we can maybe predict if you've got gut dysbiosis, predict if you've got problems with um, glucose regulation or if you're likely to have low hemoglobin, which is going to be you know, super, super important for your ability to deliver oxygen and to perform in whatever sport you're doing. And so if people go to nbt.ai, AI for artificial intelligence, you can go there, do the, um, do the um, questionnaire that can tell you, you know, where you should maybe be focusing your efforts um, in terms of optimizing your performance. And then, you know, from there, we'll send you some send you some information. Um, so some podcasts where we've talked about the problem that's potentially going on in you, including the podcast that you and I did uh, last time, Brad, you know, people will get that and then they can sign up, uh, speak to one of us about our um, EPP, Elite Performance Program. That's what we're putting you through at the moment. Um, and, you know, go from there and and, and tackle uh, whatever problems they might be having and, and get them back sort of to, uh, to optimal health and performance. And also due to my high level of expertise and knowledge, I'm going to make a prediction to the listener that you have some gut issues, period, <laughs> no matter who you are. Even if you eat super healthy like me for the last 10 years, um, we have so many environmental uh, risk factors, including the antibiotic use, including your past antibiotic use going through the history of your life. And so it's beyond the uh, the boundaries of traditional medical treatment. So if you're under good doctor's care. This is sort of like um, an augment, especially for the peak performance minded. So I'm a big fan. I'm glad we could uh, tell our listeners about it. And I love them taking that first step, taking the assessment. And Tommy, I want to have you back on and do this uh, triumphant uh, uh, <laughs> third show where I've gone through the, uh, the treatment protocols and looking at a new blood test, bragging about the amazing peak performances I've had accordingly. But for now, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Brad. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to, to keeping going with you on this journey and, and seeing where we can get you. Well, Dr. Tommy Wood of Nourish, Balance, Thrive. Thank you, listeners. This is your host, Brad Kearns. Until next time, good luck. Hi, this is Brad Kearns to tell you about Primal Endurance Online Multimedia Educational Mastery Course. And what we have done for the past year is basically bring the book Primal Endurance to life with a series of videos and other multimedia educational material, audio, ebooks, all accessed at this online portal with everything you need to succeed in endurance training. And if you're trying to do this stuff, if you're enjoying these compelling challenges and trying not to get sick, injured, burnt out, fried, this is going to help you approach your endurance goals in a healthy, balanced manner and promote your health rather than compromise it. Get away from carbohydrate dependency and progress toward fat adaptation through dietary patterns, the primal approach, as well as the proper training methods that Mark Sisson and I have been dispensing for decades to endurance athletes. And we're talking about building that aerobic base, balancing stress and rest, integrating high intensity workouts in the proper manner so that they actually help you make quick improvements in fitness rather than break you down. And of course, throwing in all that lip service stuff, the complementary lifestyle practices like getting enough sleep, having a process-oriented approach rather than a high-stress, results-oriented, type-A, over-competitive approach. And what the course does is bring in 
many, many of the world's leading experts in all manner of endurance training, exercise physiology, nutritional science, medicine. And I interviewed these people. I traveled all over the continent of North America and got these wonderful interviews, which we packaged onto the course. It's over 120 videos many with the experts and also many others with the step-by-step instruction of what's in the book. So if you're too busy to read or you'd like to have a more comprehensive learning experience, check out Primal Endurance online. You'll have everything you need there at primalendurance.fit.